Welcome back. Greenwich on the line. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. Sitting in for the deacon, I'm Alan Abramson. Remember years ago that Tom Hanks movie where people lived at the airport? Yes. They were doing the story of David Seth Kirshner because <laughs> he spends his life uh, at airports. Rabbi David Seth Kirshner, senior rabbi, Temple Emanuel in Closter, New Jersey, and the president, very distinguished president of the New York Board of Rabbis. Good morning, Rabbi David. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Rabbi Potasnik. How is everyone today? All the better for your asking, as the deacon would say. Uh, let me... First of all, Al and I were talking before about the joy of Jewish life. You know, I was on the plane to Israel, and a lot of kids in birthright were with me, and they were happy. And I said, happy Jews, what a pleasure. And we, we don't do enough to inculcate that kind of spirit. Um, you know, we talk about many of the tragedies, uh, many of the problems, and not that we should ignore them, but they can't be the sum total of our presentation. You know, I, uh, I had a group of Christians and Jews at our synagogue in springtime, and someone said, how can you tell the Christians and Jews apart? I said, it's very easy. You say, it's a beautiful day outside. And the Christians will say, you're right, it's a splendid day. And the Jews <laughs> will say, yeah, but what about the pollen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, you know, look... We, we're, we're, a whiny lot. Uh, we're, we're products of our experience, I guess, you know, when you've been persecuted all these years, there's going to be, uh, you know, that kind of attitude. But still, we've we got to do more uh, so the young people are proud of who they are. And uh, it just can't be, you know, uh, pain followed by pain. Let's talk about something else. I'm looking at the New York Times and a story by someone you know and I come to know through you, um, you know, Jody Ruderin. And it says that. Two killings make Israelis look inward. And I get it. You know, we're all very troubled. Uh, we're embarrassed, ashamed, angry um, by what's transpired in the last few weeks with the, the firebombing of a home where an infant and now the father uh, have been murdered. Um, you know, we saw the stabbing and, and uh, death of, of a young person at a, at a gay parade in Jerusalem. And we do look inward. What, pro- what I find troubling, we'll talk about this, but what I also find troubling is why, doesn't, why isn't there a story about the Palestinians do not look inward? I mean, it's, it, you know, we, we, don't name, we don't name squares for, for murderers. You know, we don't glorify, you know, people who kill. Um, and, of course, that's a good thing that we don't. But once in a while, it'd be nice to, to read something that the other side does wrong and not just what the Jews do wrong. It's true. I think part of that is because our culture is a lot more Western. Um, I remember when Moshe Katsav, the president of the state of Israel, was indicted and sentenced to prison for uh, raping one of his secretaries. And I remember this distinct feeling in my kishkas, in my insides, that it was one of my happiest days as a Zionist and one of my saddest days. Saddest because the president of the state of Israel could do such a despicable act. And what a war it was to all of the Jewish and Zionist people in the world, and satisfied that we live in a government and we support a government that's not holding anyone above the law, and that there was a punishment to be held for that. To me, I think that is the difference between being a Jewish state and a non-Jewish state. The Jewish state doesn't hold zealots or fanatics uh, to any different standard. We're not immune to them. But the way we respond to that behavior, I think, Mm -hmm. is what makes us different. To find thousands upon thousands of people in a square rallying for peace after the stabbing and firebombing of these two uh, situations that are just despicable, 
You know, there, that to me is yeah. a quintessential Jewish yeah. answer. That being said, and I agree with everything you're saying, there is something very, very uh, disheartening that there are those who somehow would somehow would synthesize uh, religion and extremism. That somehow there are those who feel it's a mitzvah, it's a good thing uh, to kill someone in the name of God. We've seen that in our history. Uh, we've seen that in the Bible. Uh, it's just, you know, I, I don't understand how, with all that we know today, that there's still there are those who think this is the right path to choose. You know, just in South Carolina, and I think it was May or June, some crazy man goes into a church and shoots up black people because of his racist views. And I think what the country decided to do, especially the community of South Carolina and Charleston, which I give them full credit for, is they said, this is not the way we're going to respond. We're not going to respond with more violence. We're going to respond with love. We're going to respond to hate with a sense of uh, inclusivity. And I think that it represents the fanaticism and the deranged nature of the um, perpetrator himself. And I think it's the same thing with this crazy fanatic who stabbed these people at the gay pride march. And I think it's the same thing with these crazy fanatics who are being indoctrinated in their schools, just like they are in other radical environments, um, who set uh, this Palestinian home aflame. But what is the government doing about the schools that are indoctrinating these kids? And what are they doing about the communities that foster these kids, and or and I don't even know if they're kids or, or they're adults or they're young adults, but they, they live in communities. They live in communities that they know who these people are. Uh, they, they, they hide them. They protect them. They, they haven't come forward and said, look, these, these are, are people within our midst that are doing things that are unacceptable, that, that is unacceptable under Jewish law, and, and we will not protect them. But that's not what's happening. And what is the government doing to reach into those communities and saying this is unacceptable for a community to foster people like this and, and, and to uh, it's, indoctrinate it's a good people question. like this? It's a good question, Alan. I, I, I read the newspaper this morning, Haaretz and the Times of Israel, and my understanding was 14 people were arrested from part of this um, inside you know, Jewish settlement Israeli uh, group um, in an effort to thwart more attacks. I remember in 1995 when Rabin was killed and all types of uh, vigilante behavior like this was happening and depicting leaders in uh, Nazi garb. And when he was murdered, it was as if the entire country was defibrillated. Our rhythm was off base. We were not beating in unison. And that gunshot that Yigal Amir set off was a defibrillator that got us all beating on rhythm again. And what I'm afraid of is that our rhythm is way off again. And we can't afford to have another incident like the Rabin assassination or anything even close to it. We have to get in front of these these fanatics. And just think about this. In the 60s in this country, when Jews and blacks were firebombed by the Ku Klux Klan, and they burned crosses on their yards and painted on their homes of worship and their actual homes, we galvanized as one, as a community. It was us. It was Schwerner and Goodman that were together with Cheney in Mississippi to ensure for the voting rights. And when I saw that firebombed home, the Palestinian home, and it said revenge and a Jewish star painted on it, 
all I could think was this behavior is exactly the same as that what the Ku Klux Klan did. And ironically, it was the Jews that stood up to the Klan to stop that behavior. What I think also should be added is, you know, uh, I know the chief rabbis visited uh, the family. I know the prime minister went to the hospital to visit the family. I also know that many people within, we call it the, the right wing orthodox communities, stood up and condemned it. It wasn't as if, you know, this is all of us. Uh, these are those who shame us. And I, I heard a number of very, very strong uh, diatribes uh, against this kind of behavior. So I think it's, it's, it's what is the response? Because we always ask the question the other way. When it happens to us, where's everybody else? Why, is, why aren't there demonstrations? Why aren't there protests? Why isn't there screaming? Why are people silent instead of shouting? Well, I think we've heard uh, a good deal of important uh, noise coming from those who need to speak out, uh, but we can't, we can't close our ears and eyes to a problem that's there and simply say, well, it's one or two. It may be many more than one or two, and we won't tolerate it. That's correct. Benny Lau uh, wrote with uh, his cousin, who's the chief rabbi of the state of Israel, uh, a beautiful response to these attacks, saying, and what Torah have I read and spent my life reading and my family reading and my teachers reading that would ever advocate for this behavior? Mm-hmm. It's not my book, not the Torah I learn and I live. And I think that's the answer. Yeah, yeah. Let's go to uh, a subject that Al and I and you uh, have been discussing, uh, the Iranian uh, agreement. Uh, And, David, when you and I talk about it, uh, we see some very, very serious flaws in it. Uh, For me, what comes across is the very weak or permissive uh, verification program. Um, in order, in order to for a snapback, which I think is it's a misnomer. There, there are really no snapback. Uh, it's a long, slow, uh, in some cases non-existent because when contracts have been signed, they're grandfathered in. Um, what do you find troubling uh, about the agreement? Well, to me, you know, making a deal with Iran about nuclear weaponry is tantamount to uh, asking Bernie Madoff to serve as your organization's treasurer. You know, you, you just know that you're headed for an arena where there's going to be cheating and skimming and all types of terrible things. So to me, that's very problematic. That's number one. Number two is there are some good parts of this deal. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I do give credit to the administration, and in particular Secretary Kerry, for his tireless efforts for making it happen. But I don't think it's a good deal. I think, let me, re- let me rephrase that. I think it's an okay deal, but not a good deal, and it's not a great deal, that's for sure. And uh, to accept this level of mediocrity, the biggest problem to me is twofold. It's the release of $50 billion. Um, it's technically $150 billion, but once they pay off their debts and other organizations where the money goes directly to it's $50 billion. Just imagine what $150 million could do in the hands of Hamas. You know, last year... Uh, Joe, you and I were talking, and Alan was on the line, too, and my family was in Israel uh, dealing with rocket attacks, okay? So $100 million go a long way with Hamas, and we know that Iran is the largest sponsor of state terror. Here's the second biggest problem I see. In this deal is the lifting of the almost 40-year-old arms embargo with Iran, okay? And if you think about all those who say, well, we could bomb Iran, we'll send B-52s in, we'll send stealth bombers in, when they have the means, both monetarily and the ability, unimpinged, to go and buy SAMs, which are surface-to-air missiles and anti-aircraft missiles, you can't send B-52s and stealth bombers in so simply to bomb their nuclear sites. 
So the lifting of the arms embargo to me is very problematic. I'll say one last thing. I'm sorry for being long-winded on this. In the United States of America, Alan, you know this as an attorney who's practicing today, 48 states make it illegal, absolutely illegal, for felons to vote, even when they're on parole. It's illegal for them, which means the posture of the United States is that when you are a criminal, we don't treat you like average Joe citizen. So what I don't understand is why we are posturing with Iran to have a relationship with them where we are treating them as an equal. We're treating them the way we would make a treaty with Norway or with Canada or with Mexico. But there's nothing we do as an American that celebrates that posture and any other behaviors that we have. We're speaking with Rabbi David Seth Kirshner, Senior Rabbi at Temple Emanuel in close to New Jersey and President of the New York Board of Rabbis. Um, Rabbi, I, first of all, I, I want to thank you because I think your the way you describe the deal is extraordinarily fair-minded. And I think if everyone describes the deal that way and we can discuss the deal that way, we make progress and, and we, we can move forward in, in ways that will either strengthen the deal or help us redefine things in ways that will be helpful on the world scene. Uh, you, you didn't... There's no invective here. You, you you say, look, there are some positive things about the deal. There are things that you worry about. What do we do about this? What do we do about that? And I think that's the that's the best way to talk about this deal. Um, look, I I think that there are many problems and many issues, you know, with the deal that we have with Iran. But at the same time, I do think it provides us with certain opportunities and certain capabilities that we don't have today. Uh, I don't think it would have been possible to continue with sanctions forever. I don't think it would have been possible to strengthen sanctions. I think that what we had right up till now was sanctions that were done on a worldwide basis. We had P5 plus one. We had the Russians. We had the Chinese. Uh, I think it was an extraordinary effort to keep that group together. I don't. Th- I think there comes a point in any negotiation where... The negotiation where, where, where the team begins to fall apart, where we wouldn't have been able to hold the Russians and the Chinese together. And if we couldn't hold them together, then arms sales would have started and we wouldn't have had the uh, even the abilities that we have under this agreement to have certain monitoring abilities and things like that. I don't believe that this is a perfect agreement. And, and in some ways, I think that there are positive elements, but I think that there are some troubling elements. But I do think it gives us certain abilities that we don't have today to um, at least in, in some ways slow down the possibility of Iran developing a nuclear weapon, uh, delaying R- Iran from getting nuclear weapons, and giving us additional capabilities to intervene if Iran gets closer to getting a nuclear weapon than they are at this point. Um, but I think what we also need to do is, if the agreement is ultimately ratified uh, and there is an override of a veto, we also have to look at what the United States needs to do to strengthen our own position to ensure that the United States is uh, well protected, because I think that's the first thing we have to do, and then also make sure that our 
strongest ally, uh, our closest ally, Israel, is well protected and has the means and ability to protect themselves, both in a conventional sense, from conventional warfare from Hamas and Hezbollah, and also to protect themselves in the event that Iran does get closer to, to obtaining a nuclear weapon in the future. David? I'm here. Yeah. I mean, look... I, I, I heard it all. I agree with you. Here's the problem I have. The problem I have is that through that process, Alan, the United States is not postured in a way to say that they're going to be strict in enforcing with a military option. That's number one. And they need to do that. And secondly, we need to make sure that the United States, and in particular leadership now, doesn't choose to vilify those who disagree with this agreement. They disagree yeah. on principle, not in personality, and uh, that's a problem. Yeah. Look, I think, I think when you immediately remove sanctions, you have taken away your leverage. You have really said to Iran, all right, sanctions are gone, and by the way, if you violate, well, we'll see. Because the verification process, to me, is very weak. There's so many holes in it that Iran can do so much, and you, you have left yourself with very little in, in order to enforce it. That, to me, is very troubling. But we've got to run. we got to go to the end of the uh, segment here and then go on with some uh, commercials. We're, listen, you have a safe trip. Thank you very much. I'm glad you selected the quiet area of the airport to talk. I, I think they just called final boarding for the plane, <laughs> Rabbi. He's used to that. They always wait for him. They don't take off without him. Make a prayer for an upgrade. All right. Rabbi David Seth Kirshner, Senior Rabbi Temple of in Close, New Jersey, President of the New York Board of Rabbis. Stay tuned. Religion on the Line 77 WABC.